Hello and welcome to the Analytics Edge, sponsored by NetSpring. The Analytics Edge is a podcast about real-world stories of innovation. We are here to explore how data-driven insights can help you make better business decisions. I'm your host, Thomas Dong, VP of Marketing at NetSpring. And for today's episode, my co-host is Vijay Ganesan, co-founder and CEO at NetSpring. Thank you for joining me, Vijay. Great to be here. Welcome, Samia. Great to have you on our show. I'm a great fan of uh, what you're doing with Rutterstack and uh, really looking forward to this discussion today. Thanks, Vijay and Thomas. I'm really excited to be here. All right. Today's topic is warehouse native data architectures. And we're joined by Samideb Mitra, founder and CEO of Rutterstack, a warehouse-first customer data platform built for developers, data analysts, and product teams. Rutterstack is an open-source, enterprise-ready platform for collecting, storing, and routing customer event data to your data warehouse and dozens of other tools. Samia, we're delighted you're able to join us today. Welcome. Thanks, Thomas. Uh, Super excited to be here. So the history of the CDP can be traced back over the last 30 years to the evolution of several key marketing technologies, including CRM systems, tag management systems, and data management platforms, or DMPs. However, 2013 is generally referred to as the year of the CDP when the term was originally coined. Samia, you founded Rudderstack in 2019. What were you seeing back then and what became the motivations for you to start Rudderstack? The motivation for Rudderstack came from the problems that I encountered in my previous uh, roles and, and, and companies, right? So right before Rudderstack, I was in, in a public telecom company and as a data leader in that company, I was told to build interesting use cases on customer data, uh, not just for marketing, but also for support. Support wanted to build like a churn model so that they can like uh, address churn problem, which was like, uh, like a big issue. Uh, like sales wanted to build like a lead scoring model to score, uh, like to identify which are the leads they are likely to convert so that they can dedicate their resources on those. So all these uh, use cases required the same architecture, like get all the customer data, uh, build interesting ML applications on top, and then activate that data back into these tools, right? Churn score, you want to get it back into like a support tool, like Gainsight or Zendesk and, and so on. And none of the traditional CDP architectures, which are all built for marketing, could enable uh, these use cases. So that was pretty much the genesis for starting uh, the stack. So it sounds like you were you're faced with a lot of technical challenges to meet the the needs of the business and the applications you were trying to build. There were obviously innovations happening with many other vendors in the space. What are some of the key developments in the evolution of all these various CDPs that have gotten us to the current state of CDPs? The space of CDPs is like pretty interesting, right? I mean, like they were almost like to your point first generation cdps right the the tag managers in in some way like they they eventually morphed into cdp but even before that like, there was customer data right you had a crm uh, like with the cloud crms and then there are like on prem crms so they, they technically also had customer data and, and so on it was primarily used for analytics and, and and driving specific business workflows right and then came the cloud crms and cloud marketing tools they all had customer data and then they're all designed for specific uh, like business workflows right i mean like sales had a crm and a marketing had a marketing automation system i think the first two cdps came to your point came into the 2013 14 time frame 
And it was really driven by two main things. One is like the rise of data volumes, right? I mean, like a lot of the the applications came to the web, uh, to the mobile, and that just led to the explosion of customer data. And you needed almost like a new architecture uh, that the traditional CRMs could not address. So that's that's kind of was the first uh, driver of uh, like the CDP platforms. The second was driven by the needs of the, the end consumer. Like because you had so much data about them and their people were interacting with the brands on so many different properties, right? It's not just like, so just selling, sending like a mail coupon was not enough, right? I mean, you had to like truly personalize the, the, the experience that the consumers were expecting that. So that also like both this, you, you, and, and you could do that because of this explosion of data. So these requirements, both the data volume, but also the expectations of the consumer led to these like CDPs and, and there were a lot of innovation on that space, primarily driven by uh, marketing uh, teams. But then I think like, because there was no other way to do that. I mean, there was no, like collecting this data uh, was was hard. Now, I think like in the nine, 2017 to 19 timeframe, like you saw the explosion of cloud data warehouses. So, and, and it, it became really, cheap and cost-effective to collect data and process data. Like earlier, you had to set up a Hadoop cluster and so on. And so that's kind of the other big change that is happening uh, recently. And the second thing is like uh, people are realizing that the C- traditional CDPs did fall short on their promise. Uh, again, because of like their architecture and, and the use cases that could be built on top, right? So I think we're almost seeing another evolution of CDPs where people are realizing that it's not marketing is not maybe the right even buyer for like setting up this stack like it should be the engineering teams and and, and so on and the cloud data warehouses are kind of aiding that so that's i would almost call like the second incarnation of cdps in in, in truth like it's, it's really the third one like there are the traditional crms then there came the the, the cdps and then like this is like like a new cdp architecture being led by the engineering teams and and, and so on that's really fascinating. Um, so we had this big data explosion that led to massive volumes of data. Um, and, you know, a new architecture has emerged. RudderStack has built a warehouse native uh, approach to it. So around this big data explosion, you know, we can talk about the technical challenges, business challenges here. Um, I want to deep dive a little bit in terms of, okay, if somebody's trying to set up a CDP kind of Divorcing it from kind of the technical challenges, what what are like like common business challenges that any of the CDPs are are trying uh, to solve, regardless of their architecture? Yeah, I think it it kind of all goes back to like the right personalization experience for your end consumer, right? Whether CDP or, or whatever homegrown or whatever the the end use case is delivering a personalized experience to your consumer, right? So that's that's where it kind of all boils down to. And that experience could be on your website, could be on the emails that you send out, or it could be even the mails that you send, like through like the postal emails that you send, right? So that's that's what is the end outcome of the, uh, of, of any CDP architecture. I think traditionally, a lot of those touches were driven by marketing. So that's why marketing has been a buyer. But then as people are realizing, is the consumers are not just touching a brand through their marketing. Uh, like you, when you call into a call center, that also requires delivering a personalized experience. And, and that's usually a separate team. So like all these teams need to get access to like true customer data. And, and that's kind of 
what SCDP has to enable. Samia, there's an ongoing debate in the community about packaged CDP versus composable CDP. And and there's, you know, different definitions uh, even of those terms. How do you describe packaged versus composable and how does Rudderstack fit in that debate? Yeah, I think the, uh, so for, for the audience like who are not familiar with the term, like the, the whole idea of a packaged CDP is like an end-to-end black box SaaS system, right? I mean, uh, and a lot of the second generation CDPs, if you will, are sold as a packaged CDP. Right? The idea is you send uh, all your data into these uh, in, into these SaaS tools, and then they they do some internal magic, and they expose an interface f- for marketing uh, mostly to come in and like create audiences and activate those audiences and, and so on. So they're like built for driving a very specific use case. It is a big use case, but it's primarily for marketing. I think to what I was talking earlier, like people realize that that architecture can only go so much, and you need like a new architecture of uh, of of like building this customer data stack, right? A warehouse native architecture where you centralize the data into some kind of a data warehouse or a data lake, build interesting applications on top, and enable marketing, but also enable like the other business use cases. And this new architecture. That's kind of one thing. The it's it's a new architecture, and the second thing is like this is primarily being driven by the 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 engineering teams, the data teams, uh, the product teams, as opposed to like just marketing buying like a, a solution. Right. So that's kind of the big split around package and composable. Right. Here, you're saying you're composing the the CDPs with like a bunch of tools. Right. Data warehouse is a big piece of it, and then like you need other pieces of the puzzle. Right. So I think now that you can like draw a line on what how many tools do you need like clearly you need some kind of a data warehouse then like you need like some kind of a data integration tool to bring all the data Uh, you need some kind of a transformation tool to transform the data and you need some kind of an almost like i would say like a workflow tool for different business users to come in and act on that data right so whether it's analytics where like net companies like uh, like netspring and so on or whether it's like an activation where we play so i think this composable at the highest level where like your data warehouse and then some set of tools on top makes sense for this new generation of architecture. Like what set of tools is like, I think that will evolve over time. And if you are pitching warehouse native CDP to to a business person who maybe doesn't care much about data architectures and stuff like, like a marketing person, right? How would you describe the benefits? Like why should a marketer care? What benefit would they get out of warehouse native cdp yeah that's a good question i i don't know if i'm like uh, we have like uh, figured this out i mean that's why we primarily sell to the data teams right our pitch is like this is like you should be owning this right and they understand that the new generation of data leaders they understand that like they have to build this stack and enable marketing so now how do you pitch this to to marketing saying i think the the main pitch has to be that the traditional CDP investments are not providing the ROI and enabling the use cases they truly want to enable, right? And and I think it is only getting worse, right? I mean, with like generative AI and all the stuff, I mean, it's a buzzword, but I think like personalization will become very deep. Uh, and But then you can only do that when you have like the right data architecture. And, and you cannot, the traditional things are not able to solve that. Yeah, one of the things we're seeing in the in the product analytics space, and, and we 
subscribe to that same philosophy of warehouse centricity and so on is you know to a business person they can get much richer context rich analytics it's not just about few streams of data the data warehouse has got data from so many other sources that your personalization can become much richer right your analytics can get much richer there's of course the governance and security and single source of truth and so on that that the data engineering teams care about but the, you made a great point earlier about how this is not just for marketing anymore this is for every group in the company that has anything to do with customer you know they care right so so that's why it makes us so much sense double clicking a little bit about some of the key capabilities of cdps right so if you look at uh, maybe let's pick a couple of things you know you've got connectors right you have to bring data from so many different systems into a single place so there's this whole connectivity ecosystem but after you bring the data data often is in so many shapes and forms in all these systems you got to rationalize it conform it and identity resolution right? this is one of the biggest things for marketers really this identity resolution how does being warehouse native help with those things yeah i think in our conversations right id resolution often comes up the first uh, motivation for doing like a warehouse native implementation because and again it probably points back to the traditional limitations uh, uh, the limitations of traditional cdps like a good example is let's say you have like your data coming from your website and then you're coming from your apps and and you have some data coming from your crm system and all have some identities and then you have to finally stitch all of them into one single record right and sometimes like you have uh, like fields like addresses which cannot be matched deterministically right so the the traditional cdps offered some black box id resolution and i mean it could they'll do some magic internally but it could only go so far right? i mean each business has custom needs and complexities of their own data and this is that customizability was not available in a traditional black box cdp versus like when you have the raw data in your data warehouse like it's kind of like your data teams responsibility to stitch them but it also gives that power to put your own custom logic and and tune that identity resolution so in fact like that is often in at least in our conversation like almost an entry point to say that like okay are are you, are you truly being able to match customers into one record in in, in this cloud cdps versus now you have the flexibility to that in in a warehouse where you have access to the data so there's the flexibility aspect but i'd imagine there's also the aspect of transparency i know exactly how this thing is happening right instead of this black box is doing something i have no idea how this identity resolution has happened so there's the lack of transparency i'd imagine would be an issue too 100% and transparency and then the kind of a follow up to that is like being able to like rectify things right i mean if, if this black box merge certain things which by looking at it you don't think is the right thing there is no way you could like go and rectify that right? i mean it's for them to like ship an update to the software and you till then you are kind of stuck with this right versus like if you are stitching you are building your id logic into in like you are writing code for doing that right yes it does require some work and then that's why like vendors like radostack can also help but that flexibility in being able to like detect mistakes and like override that is also extremely important dbt has become very popular it's almost standard now in most companies and data architectures how does that help with your architecture and how does it complement what uh, radostack does probably half of our customers are using dbt in some form or shape right like dbt at one end is 
a very simple thing. It's not like a new SQL or so on. But at the other end, it's like extremely powerful, right? For a very long time, analysts were writing pages and pages of SQL. There was no version control, no proper way to manage that. So like, it's kind of like a big force in, in that ecosystem, right? It almost like took data analysts and make them software developers, right? All the software engineering best practices can now be applied to data transformations, right? So it's like, I'm a big fan of DBT to that point. Like, I mean, a lot of our customers are using DBT to write those transformations. So we are almost like complementary in the sense that we land the data and then they can write their own transformations on DBT to, to achieve like ID resolution and like compute features and so on. At the same time, it does require a lot of work. Uh, writing an ID resolution in SQL in DBT is, is quite non-trivial, and particularly if you have to like handle scale and handle incrementally and so on. So we have also kind of taken that problem and productized that in Rudderstack. We have built a layer on top of DBT almost, right, which takes like a high-level config, and it will generate the SQL. It will generate the DBT model to do that identity stitching and like feature generation and so on. So yes, we are complementary in that sense. Let's talk about analytics, product analytics, marketing analytics, digital experience, all of these types of analytics. Customer data is obviously front and center in that. And so how do you see analytics benefiting from this data warehouse-centric CDP architectures? We internally have use cases that can only be enabled by uh, a data warehouse first architecture. Like A very common example is like we want to look at product funnels and customer journeys, but then combine that with Salesforce data, right? I mean, I want to look at like enterprise funnels, funnels separately for enterprise customers and customers who closed versus like customers where we are competing with a specific vendor and so on, right? So, and this is a very standard thing I would imagine. Like, I mean, we see that across all our companies, but it was surprisingly hard to do uh, with, with a lot of these cloud product analytics tools, right? They're amazing tools, but then it's they're only designed to ingest a specific kind of data. And if you want to like combine other data sources, it becomes really fragile and complicated to like set up those data pipelines, right? So yeah, I think Warehouse Native enables that and unlocks that set of use cases. Plus there are all these challenges around data privacy, which again, I, I, it's not so much for a company like us, but at scale, it becomes a problem, right? I mean, you're centralizing your data in a data warehouse. Why do you need to like ship everything to another vendor to like do specific parts of your analytics, right? Why? Like, it just does not make good sense. Let's talk about data activation and uh, reverse ETL. It's, it's part of this composable CDP idea where I can activate from the warehouse directly and push it to uh, target systems and so on. But uh, going forward, do you see the MarTech systems to which you're pushing data do you see them building native connectivity to the warehouse? So you're seeing that, for example, with Salesforce, ServiceNow, sort of building sort of bi-directional connectivity to Snowflake, right? Is that a trend that you are seeing building up and where we would be in a place a few years from now where you really don't need an intermediary to push the data from the warehouse to these tools and these tools have native connectivity to the warehouse? Yeah, I think like it's almost like sequence of steps. I think reverse ETL was almost uh, like a temporary hack, right? I mean, and we support reverse ETL because like, there was a big demand for it. There are other vendors who are building big businesses on reverse ETL. But the, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, just getting data into these cloud tools. And then like to your point, these cloud tools will eventually, uh, the data warehouse is a big source of data and they it makes complete sense for them to like 
provide that connectivity to pull data, right? So that's kind of the next stage. And I think like every cloud to vendor would provide uh, some some kind of a connectivity to the data warehouse. But I would say like the, the third evolution of that is like, why do you even need these cloud tools, right? Why should there, there be like a Salesforce CRM, which again, is trying to copy your warehouse data, right? Or like, and so on. Why can't you natively build those applications on top of your data warehouse, right? And I'm sure like there are technical challenges and like, how do you support real time and how do you support like transactional uh, updates to your data warehouse, which I, I think like the warehouse vendors have to also innovate and so on. But I think like that is the future state, right? I think like even the cloud SaaS vendors will be disrupted and a lot of these things will be built on top of the data warehouse. Like NetSpring, you folks are doing analytics on the warehouse, but like there is no reason it needs to stop there, right? I mean, your marketing tool, automation and your CRM all should be running on top of one single source of truth. Yeah, it's interesting. The Snowflake has this Unistore, which is basically uh, can build transactional applications on, on top of Snowflake. And this notion of hybrid transactional analytical processing systems that have been around for a long time, but probably will uh, see the light of the day now with, uh, with the Snowflakes of the world, right? Now let's talk about personalization. You mentioned that earlier, personalization is probably the most important thing for marketers, the way they interact with their customers, and increasingly it's becoming very, very important, right? And every customers want and expect and demand personalized experiences in every channel, right? Whether it's, in, like you said, even an email, everything has to be very personalized, right? And there is an aspect of personalization which has to be in real time, mm -hmm. right? So I'm on the app on my phone and I do something and I get a offer or something, right? And those things have to be in real time. Now, warehouses, you know, the conventional wisdom is warehouses are not really set up for real time, right? So how do you deal with that? I think uh, this is a question that comes up again uh, and again uh, in our conversations. And that's where I think like we as a product ha have some edge because like we provide all the connections, like all the from ingest to activation, and we can support data movements where warehouse is not involved, right? I mean, we can in real time stream an event from like a website back into like a marketing tool like Braze so that the push notification goes out. So you don't have to like send that event through the warehouse. When we think about personalization, right? I mean, it is, there are two parts to it. One is like the understanding of the user, right? How much do I understand an end user? And that is based on all the historic interactions that the user had with the brand, right? I mean, if you're Netflix, then you are kind of built an understanding of the user based on all the videos they have watched and, and so on. That's like, call it the user model, right? The second thing is like, so the question is like, how real time does that user model have to be, right? I mean, yes, if you just signed up on a brand, you don't know anything about that, you probably need to be real time. But if you are like a 50 year, 15 year Netflix customer, you probably have a very good understanding of the user anyway. Like you don't have to like update that model in real time. So that's one aspect of personalized, like real-time aspect, whether you need or not, depending on how long has the relationship been. The second thing is like taking action based on that user model, right? So if I did something, right, I, I, I dropped off of a checkout page, then I want to take an action uh, based on that user model. Like I, I want to send you a promotion or not send you a promotion. So these two aspects, and it, it is possible to support both on a warehouse first architecture like the warehouse model the updating of the user model has to be can be done in batch right in most cases right you just what you just need is like the action that you are taking based on some user activity that action has to query the user model and then send the 
take that action, right? So that part doesn't require, should not go through the warehouse. And that is possible, right? I mean, even current architectures are possible. Like, I mean, stack can support that use case. So your, your point of view is there's, most things can go through the warehouse, but there is a class of things where you you need a direct pipe, right? Uh, that that you need to support both, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this user action driving, like I, I did X and I get a response Y. And that Y is dependent on my user model, right? So that path has to be supported. Like that is a re- requirement. You cannot like like do that like two days later. But the the updating the user model, that need not be in a real, a real time. And warehouse is a perfect way to do that, right? So you have to support this architecture. And it's interesting, you know, the warehouses are also constantly evolving, right? I mean, they're a lot more real time today than they were even like a year ago, right? In terms of streaming ingestion, you know, million events per second type ingestion into cloud data warehouses is not is common these days, but but still there is there's some lag between the time the data arrives and the time that it's available for querying and so on. But I'd imagine five years from now the warehouses are probably a lot more have a lot more support for real time capabilities. Hundred percent right. And I think to your earlier point, this like unification of OLAP and OLTP was always the dream. And hopefully the cloud data warehouses pull that off and then that will kind of like merge this and then like the, you, you also see beyond this traditional cloud data warehouses you also have a new gen of companies who are trying to build like some version of real-time data warehouses and so on so like, there's a lot of innovation and you know that's where i feel like this betting on a warehouse-centric architectures makes so much sense because there is so much innovation that's happening around data warehouses right that you can sort of start leveraging more and more of these capabilities we'll talk about generative ai in a little bit but there is Snowflake bought a company just focused on building generative AI capabilities in the warehouse. So all of that stuff becomes available for anybody that's building on top of the data warehouse. So, so it's all the more reason to sort of bet on a warehouse-centric architecture. 100%. Yeah, I think that's the future. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting as we're talking about these uh, major innovations happening on the technology side. You talk about user models, and this has been a you know recurring challenge for for many many years, and makes me think of all the you know, marketing hype around customer three hundred and sixty, single view of the customer. Um, obviously, these have been concepts that have been bandied about for many many years now. Curious, what your thoughts are? Like, have enterprises finally and successfully achieved a customer three hundred and sixty view? Um, and if not, what still stands in the way? We have a product around that, so I, we have, like, I have a biased view of this, but. I think like I would be very surprised if like even one person of the enterprises have built like a customer 360. Like maybe the Amazons of the world have kind of built, but like if if you go to any reasonable company, right? I mean any any standard company, you'll see that like their customer data is all over the place, right? I mean I, I have data here, which is I uh, with Team X, which Team Y wants to access, and they don't have access to the data because they are using some other cloud tool. Even within departments, right? I mean you'll see that marketing has email marketing department and like a separate push web mobile marketing department and like somebody somebody some other team owning the the the, the web experience and even their data is all over the place right that, and you see that outcome where you you buy something and then you still keep getting email because your email system has not been updated with your transactions that you have been done right so not even like one percent of the enterprises have truly built a customer 360 and again it goes back to the earlier point that like uh, the Vijayan uh, was mentioning is like, like you need a new architecture, right? This this like traditional SaaS model is kind of almost anti building a customer 360. Like you're trying to use 30 SaaS applications, then you're kind of trying to send the data to 30 places. Like so, 
you you need to put a warehouse at the center to even build that customer 360 so hopefully in 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 5 years that number will go from 1% to like 50% somia can you share any anecdotes any examples of business impact that a warehouse centric cdp approach has brought about yeah so like i mean we have a bunch of customers who have uh, like built this warehouse centric cdp and i don't think i i can name them but like uh, so this is a company or a popular innovator brand like probably the biggest in one in the us and they had the same challenge around like customer 360 right like earlier their data is in like five different tools right one product analytics one marketing analytics some emailing tool and different teams were running these promotions in isolation and so on and now they have centralized everything into uh, like a data warehouse uh, first architecture with rada stack with and they're still using those tools but then they are being driven out of that single consistent customer view so that the messaging and, and, and everything is very consistent so there's some numbers to share around like roi on those uh, campaigns and like and, and so on like substantially moved the needle compared to like the previous one right i'd imagine the impact for a for a large enterprises could be very significant right this is not just incremental thing these are very very, very fundamentally business impactful yeah i mean there's another company uh, we work with it's uh, it's like a top casino brand and they have a mobile application and they kind of built like a churn model again by centralizing the data into a data warehouse they kind of built like a churn model on top of that and based on that they are reactivating the users and that drove their revenue uh, by like 30% right it's, it was wow. like a huge lift from uh, given the effort they had to put in uh, to, wow 30% growth in revenue that any business would want that yeah and churn is a big problem in a lot of these in certain segments i mean even in my previous company churn was a big issue and then and, and even building a simple churn model is hard but then if you can centralize the data into a data warehouse then like yeah it's, it's more more of a data problem rather not not an ml problem you just need the right architecture so let's bring it back to that ml problem actually we we just uh, previewed that a little bit um in terms of generative ai and the the possibilities there it's obviously one of the hottest topics uh in tech discussions today you know as it relates to cdp and potentially the future evolution of cdps how are you potentially um viewing uh generative ai capabilities as a key component of uh a cdp's capabilities to help with things like churn and activation uh and what not yeah i think like i mean this is a very nascent space right i mean so i'm sure there will be a lot of innovation uh, around like tooling on top of like generative ai uh, chat gpt and and so on but at the fundamental level though i believe that the reason people used to do like broad audience segmentation based personalization right you create like a huge segment people who are from like new york and like what like age 15 to 20 show them the same exact promotion that's how like marketing pretty much works now right and the reason used to do that is you could not create more campaigns right as a as a human you can only think of these broad categories and then like okay for these people i'll create this campaign and for this person this another segment i can create another campaign right you're kind of limited by your creativity and how many campaigns you can think of and then entire tooling was kind of built around that right and and that's why you could again get around with like like not so you just need to know whether they live in new york and they 
they are like, uh, well, what is the gender and what is their age? Right? And then you're, that's all you need to like run those marketing campaigns. Now, that will go away, right? I mean, like now with generative AI technologies, like you could like literally personalize the campaign to like an individual level. I mean, people have been talking about like one-on-one personalization for like 15 years, but I think like finally probably we are at a point where you could do that, where you could literally tell chat GPT, like this is the person, this is the last four things he have bought. And these are our category. What should be the next promotion? Like I mean, and ChatGPT will come up with a reasonable answer. Which, which, which. So the technology is there, I think, but you still need the data. Like now, now it's not enough to say that you just need these four attributes about a person. Like the more data you can feed and the more context you can give, the better would be the personalization. So I think like this, like broad-based segmentation, segment-based marketing will not be the will not be happening in five years. And whether CDPs put generative AI in them or not, or whether it's a separate tool, you, the CDPs will have to play a very foundational layer. Right? I mean, you have to get all the data. Like finally, where the, we, we will be at a point where like you need to, uh, like the more data you get, the better will be your personalization, which was not always true. So, so that's why I think it's a good time to be in the CDP space. That's a great a great point uh, you make about one-on-one personalization, which has been the dream for for everybody. And that's 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 probably going to come true with with generative AI. That's very interesting. Yeah, they can. I mean, like, now you can not just creatives can be automatically generated. The messaging can be automatically generated. So you are no longer limited by bandwidth constraints around what you could do. And so I don't think we'll be doing segment broad segmentation. Uh, there will be a new age of like marketing tools to leverage this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one on one, not just in you know the text of the email, but also even the creatives that go with yeah, it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, you, know, you know that I like you know cartoonish style, and so you send me the creatives yeah. uh, you know that that align with my style. So that's that's fascinating. Yeah, no, the future definitely looks bright for CDPs and then for end consumers out there. Uh, this vision for the future is is definitely motivating, and you know hopefully the research will catch up. And yeah. Like Vijay said, hopefully someday I get a very personalized image um, and, and message um, based off of data that's been captured about me by the companies I do business with. Yeah, it's scary too. I mean, and that's almost like a opposite hat of my CDP founder, right? I mean, like at what point personalization becomes truly scary? I mean, <laughs> but <laughs> till uh, we don't know, but uh, but I think like uh, till we figure that out, I think CDP's companies will. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a very fascinating uh, conversation. From my perspective, I think there's there's two takeaways that I got. One was this idea that CDPs are no longer just a marketing concern, right? This is a concern for everybody in the organization. And uh, Associated with that is the ownership of this has to be with the data team, you know, no longer with the marketing team. So this is a centralized data team controlled managed system that can be used by marketers, but can also be used by customer success and product and analytics uh, tools and a whole bunch of uh, uh, teams in the organization. You know, so sort of similar to what we've been saying about the siloed product analytics, not cutting it anymore, right? So the analytics around customer is something that is should be used by product teams, success teams, sales teams, support teams, marketing teams. And so so this idea of centralizing in on the data warehouse 
and making that available for all these uh, teams in the organization uh, makes makes so much sense. So the second takeaway is around uh, one-on-one personalization with generative AI, and you know this this dream of every marketer to make personalization custom for every single customer, which has never been possible before because it just doesn't scale and it's very it just it's not possible. But now with the generative AI, you can personalize individually uh, to the to even even to the point of creatives, right? The color that you use to send me an email or a message, right? So things like that, which is uh, which is really fascinating. I think that's going to change the way how marketers uh, interact with their customers. Yeah, definitely the art of the possible here is quite amazing. And that was certainly not a, a use case that I thought about uh, when it comes to personalization. As a marketer, obviously, you know, how far do you go before you start to get creepy? But um, if generative AI is working off of very real data about my uh, preferences, you know, I think I would appreciate that. So that definitely was a... a very fascinating insight from him. Um, many of my, my takeaways were very similar to yours, Vijay. Um, but one thing that really kind of stuck in my mind is what he said in terms of SaaS being anti-customer 360, right? As a marketer, we've been thinking about customer 360 uh, for decades now, customer centricity being um, so important. Um, but kind of 10 years ago when MarTech and SaaS really took off, everybody just scrambled, you know, shadow IT took, you know, you know, took took it took its course, and we bought you know hundreds of different Martech tools to um, serve different needs uh, in in the organization. But um, all they did was create data silos, right? And so, customer uh, three hundred and sixty hasn't been achieved as as Salmia had shared. He estimates one percent. Um, that's a lot lower than I even thought, right? So um, that's been a lot of hype, um, but. Uh, with the warehouse native approach that uh, that uh, they're taking at Rudderstack and similar to us, what we're seeing in this new wave of of SaaS, right? The next evolution of SaaS will be warehouse centric, and it's about warehouse native apps on one uh, single source of truth. And it's uh, um, certainly encouraging to see uh, the velocity and volume of vendors taking this approach and. Uh, providing, you know, effectively enough critical mass that the data teams can uh, begin to recommend a portfolio of warehouse native apps that they can recommend to their line of business. Uh, that concludes today's show. Um, thank you for joining us and feel free to reach out to Vijay or I on LinkedIn or Twitter with any questions or suggested topics for future episodes. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.